Hello, and welcome back to Convergently Speaking. This week, part two of our interview with Dario Nardi. Again, on this episode, we were so privileged and grateful that Dario joins Dan for this chat. This is part two of their conversation. So if you missed last week's, go back and listen. And hopefully you enjoyed that one and you're back for more. In this part, they talk a bit about the polarization that we see in the world today and how to take a more nuanced look at things. And Dario tells us a bit about his work in shamanic practices, which is very interesting and beautiful. And they cover all sorts of other topics. So we hope you enjoy. It's interesting to hear you talk about apartheid and, and polarization and at risk of getting into yet the same old boring story. You know, your country at the moment has polarization, you know, is there something we can learn from apartheid and, and what, like, do you join a connection there? Cause I've got a question mark in my brain. I'm like, how does this all. Well, you know, the, the challenge in America is, is one it's America was in, in, is an experiment. And it was the first time in the, you know, in the, the 18th century to set up a whole country operating by a completely different set of principles, not mm. with the monarchy or whatnot. Yes. So, it, it, and even though I had a lot of bright minds at the helm for that, there were probably, there's a few mistakes in the design. And after a few hundred years, those show up. I think it's very profitable right now to be polarizing. Mm. Uh, I think that in any environment, and this is something that came up in anthropology, we, we explored different cultures and we looked at Jared Diamond's work and so on, that when there's low transparency and low accountability, in a society, and there's also a tremendous amount of wealth and resources, that you end up with a tremendous amount of, of corruption. Yeah. And uh, a kind of engagement, like I, I know a number of immigrants to the US, and they use the word American dream somewhat sarcastically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they came here pursuing the American dream in the sense of land of opportunity, and it is a land of opportunity. Not freedom, but opportunity. Yes. Um, but they also mean it that Americans live inside Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. And and particularly Americans. Yes. And and if it's not, they expect it to be made like Disneyland. Mm. And that's tremendously optimistic, and it's a dream. You know, in, in every culture, of course, I, I've been alive now long enough. It's really I would never have thought I would say that the, the high point of America in many ways was the 1970s. Mm. That it was this perfect convergence of like the emergence of technology and, and like national identity. There was a tremendous amount like the, with the women's movement and gay rights and all of these things, while at the same time not being torn into by technology. Yeah. And, and there was still a tremendous amount of freedom, practically speaking in the way that I remember, but millennials hearing this or whatnot actually don't know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry, unless you studied it, you, you yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, there was really a lot more freedom then. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is this, like, what I'm saying is just an example of historical change. Mm. 
And it's interesting to read other cultures that went through this change. I don't just mean Rome. I mean like the Netherlands. It has a really fascinating history, amazing history of incredible highs and incredible lows. It was once one of the most powerful countries in the world. So there's some of that. You know, there's a huge complexity that we could go into there. But I think a lot of it boils down to transparency and accountability and, and I think this is true psychologically speaking, and it's something they even talk about in the Magic Diamond when they have what's called a reality check. Because Jung talked a bit about not only to how these functions, these psychological functions play out in society, like they serve social purposes, sure. but that the, the person's dysfunction or function shows up visibly in def, what he called definite ways in their life. Yeah. So somebody yeah. who has poor sensing doesn't necessarily mean like in their brain they're missing like a, a sensing process. He says it, it can easily show up in the fact that they're simply neglecting finances, health, their, their you know, shelter and food, these very practical things in their lives. He's like sensing is really as concrete as that. Yes. And when a person neglects those things, that actually brings a one-sidedness. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> you know, and that's... And that really got me thinking. It's like, wow, so it is important for me to make sure that I cover life's concrete necessities. Yeah. And in, in, in this exercise we call reality testing or reality check, I also point out that money is a very powerful insulator, mm-hmm. that it can cover for many of the, the things that, you know, you might check as low unless you have money to cover that. Yes. Money creates the illusion of friendship. It can attract people to you that normally wouldn't be attractive. It can cover for health because you can buy into things you normally can't buy into. It doesn't assure anything, yes. but it covers a lot. So imagine a whole culture which is so rich in resources and money and has so little practical feedback that yeah. it can entertain all of these ideas and, and distinctions like around gender, whatnot, which, you know, folks in Africa or India who are living on the street, they're like, oh, my God, that's like the last of my concerns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have a meal, please. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not, not to denigrate, you know, issues which come along, sure. but to put them in perspective. Yes, yes. And, and then you add a profit. One adds a profit motive of saying it's profitable to polarize. Mm. And, and what do we get out of that? And it's very sad. What I find most sad is that I, I was, you know, I'm in a, as most people, I'm part of a number of different communities. Like the type community is one, the psychedelic community is one, other communities. My two different sides of the family, also different from each other in terms of politics and interests and all of that. And, and in the last election in 2016, it was fascinating in the hours and days afterwards to watch people's reactions to the results of the U.S. election. Yeah. I, I actually, I was involved in a study beforehand. I even bet, I put in a bet that, that Trump would win yeah. based yeah. on the neuroscience yeah. uh, of what I saw happening with people's brains. Not to go into that, but that's, that's on my oh, website. Cool. Yeah, 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 you can find that. But it was the ways people reacted and some of the most, I, I don't want to say surprising, but disappointing reactions came from the type community. Mm, interesting. The traditional, older type community. I, I mean, somebody who is on Facebook, who has hundreds of clients, professional clients, who also follow him or her on Facebook, 
and talks like a child, like so-and-so, like, oh, what a hideous, you know, and I could use some expletives. Yeah, yeah. And this and that, and I'm like, that doesn't really sound professional. Yeah. And you know that you're alienating half of your audience. Yes. And, and sure, maybe you're upset or whatnot, but the, and for one person I could understand, but it was a pattern. And then I would see different communities, like the psychedelic community was almost completely unfazed by the results. <laughs> yeah, Even though personally they might have different perspectives, they're like, eh, you know, they weren't projecting onto anyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there were some saviors coming. Yeah, yeah, they understood yeah. there were no saviors, that it's all Maya, it's all illusion. Yeah. yeah. Not in a way that we're going to be completely disengaged. Yes. But there, there was a sense of, um, as you described before, about are we going to take a dualistic perspective mm. or a non-dual perspective? Mm. And then isn't, it, it isn't easy to convey unless the person, and maybe this is my bias for my type and your type, yeah. unless you have the experience if I say non-dual experience, maybe that's just like philosophy to them or a term. Yes, yes. I, I know what it feels like. Yes. So, like, it's a real thing. And, and one really can approach and experience and still make objective, like, I don't like this and this is not so good and whatever. Like, I still have opinions. Yes. But there's a sense of, like, not being psychologically in like a giant spider web. Yeah. And that's what I mean is, is the reactions were coming out of basically like being in, enmeshed. Yes. And, and Jung said that, uh, I was just reading this this morning to a group, that every truly part of ourselves that's in shadow is expressed in the political sphere. Fascinating. Yeah, and he said, so it really tells you when people have a strong reaction or a strong opinion, and he means that in a psychological sense, because people can have strong opinions, but they're based on something, you know, sure. like Hitler is bad, you know, that's not a psychological projection on my part. That's yes. A, yes. right. But the, the, so often it's, the, and, and for people it's very real, and that's how deep something is in shadow. The shadow really means that. And I, I described that there are three kinds of shadow that there's gray, yeah. like the shadow stuff that we're aware of and we sort of know is in the shadows. There's the black shadow. We don't know what's there, but we know something is there. And then there's the invisible shadow. Mm. I don't even know what my own invisible shadow is. Like, oh. I, I'm sure I have it. I've probably expressed it several times already in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. But, but it's there. And some of the invisible shadow can be things like the biases we come with as humans. The biases we come with because of our, our sex. I don't mean gender, although that's part of it, but like yeah. just being born and having, you know, growing up with a certain experience, but having hormonal and like all of these things, different experience, child verse, birth versus like never being able to have that, like that creates an experience and an awareness. Sure. For sure. And, and so there are these, this like the sea that we float in and the air that we breathe and, and our experience of the world. Mm. Like there, mm. there's, uh, and that's not bad. I'm not passing judgment on it. Yes. But it, the invisible shadow stuff. I wanted to jump on that comment because you, ma you make a comment and then you follow it up with, that's not bad and I'm not passing judgment. 
which you mean. And yet what I've experienced as I've discussed and, you know, it's often online, but it doesn't have to be, mm. is that for someone who's stuck in a dualistic framing, it doesn't actually matter that you qualify that because yeah. they just hear, they hear, like I, saw, I had a friend a while back and I'd say this and that. I'm being so specific and I'm saying a bit to a degree. There's a percentage that I think this, I agree with this person 80, like I've talked about Jordan Peterson with people and I often say, mm. I like him. And yet I probably agree with about 80% of what he says. Mm. And so I think this is for me what at a, at a deep existential level, I, I struggle with, as I look at the world, I go, it doesn't have to be polarized like this. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be this way. How do we, how do we push humanity through this? It feels like we're getting pushed through this little narrow path to hopefully come out, you know, like a rebirth, a rebirth kind of experience. And so I'm interested in your thoughts around this because we need to get away from this polarization or we're going to implode. And I, I see spiral dynamics as, as something. And I know we've discussed this a little bit offline, but you know, what models or what, mechanisms and that's a lot of what i'm doing with this podcast is i'm trying to go listen to dario and listen to this other person who has different views and realize that there can be unity between these views even if they're not exactly the same you know it's i hear what you're saying and i i can think of a few examples where i was with somebody at a retreat and you know, he, he got into like a headspace, even though he was an SP type, he got into a headspace. And, and I sort of like just stopped him for a moment. And we're like sitting right opposite of each other. And I'm like, just be in the present. Just be here. I'm trying to get him to like get out of his head. Yes, sure. Because uh, as Isabel Myers correctly points out, everybody in any type can be in their head. And in Buddhism, the worst thing in, in a sense and where all people start is in their head, regardless of their, whether they're physical or emotional. They think, oh, I'm a very emotional person. I'm in my heart. I'm like, no, you're in your head because you're living inside your stories. <laughs> yes. yes. He wasn't able to do it. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't understand what I was saying. Another example is I took a, a, it was great actually during COVID, I was able to take these classes over the summer. And even though they weren't in person, we had exercises where we would go outside. And this was a shamanism course on endings and beginnings. And we went through cycles in a way of like birth and transition and then, well, death and, and rebirth. And not in that order, but that's sort of where we were. And I went on a nature walk and the idea to just be in nature and to observe what nature has to tell me. And I realized actually, what does nature have to tell me about death? Mm. And it was fascinating what came out of it. And, and then there was another, we should talk about transitions, another phase. And our homework assignment was to find a place where we often go from like a doorway that we often pass through every day. And for the exercise, stop in the doorway, in the doorframe itself, mm. and simply be and allow that, that liminal space, that yeah. transitional space yeah. to teach us something. Yeah. And I have to remember a lot of people, including intuiting types, will be like, what? Like they'll nod and say, I understand, but they don't understand. Yeah. 
Yeah. They don't know how to listen because they didn't learn that skill or whatever it is. And, and I, do know, I do know a friend of mine who um, very much is immersed in, in the Buddhist study and Buddhist practices. It was around the last election too. And he was urging people to engage others. He was on campus. He was a graduate student to, to engage others with loving kindness. And he actually understands what this means mm. and practices it. And it has been through a lot in his life. So you see where it comes from. And they're really like, what? There's nothing, there's no cognitive hook there, to use yeah. that term. Yeah. There's no experiential hook. I blame our culture. Yeah. Um, that, you know, supposedly churches are, are going to teach this. But when I see, this struck me a few years ago. I, I saw... As if Catholic folks know, or, or you know, or, or if they're Eastern Orthodox, there's like an iconic picture of Christ, the heart of Christ, and it's on fire, and it has thorns, and so on. And I looked at the picture, and this was after doing quite a bit of like retreats and shamanic work, and so on. And I'm like, oh my God, I know what that picture means. I know what that feels like. I understand. Yeah. And surely the saints and the people, the regular people of the early church, understood that. Today, people go and they don't know what that means. Yes. Or they might understand on like a, an intellectual level. Yeah. There's lots of intellectuals who will say it means this. I'm like, but do you know? And I mean this in the sense, I thought, you know, for much of my life, this idea that, you know, you kiss someone and it causes your heart to flip. You know, it, it's a, you skip a beat. Yeah. That's a real thing, by the yeah. way, for anyone who's listening, the heart can't actually do that. And, yeah. and, you know, depending on who the person is, that may happen. Yeah. And, and it's this, what is it like to have your heart on fire or to be filled with this, the passion of pain? Mm. And that's a very special experience to have and is not something that our society is giving any room. And in fact, the internet despite the fact that it's facilitating our conversation today and is great, has made people further and further away from those kinds of experiences. Mm. And that's sad because there's so much beauty possible in life. And I don't just mean a beautiful moment or whatnot. I mean, it's, you know, there, there's so much beauty that people don't know about, that they don't mm. experience, that they don't mm. see it. Mm. And for me, that's the most wonderful part of NI with SE. It's not about, oh, I'm going to go and party and like I'm going to have fun partying and whatever, although I know how to party too. Yeah. But it's to, to be willing to have the sensory experience that has like this layer of meaning to it that is so profound. It's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like we really are actors on a stage, wearing costumes, having scripts, wearing a mask. There are props around. We have a background. Or people think of it as, you know, politics, the polarizing. It's like football. Yeah. Except, yeah. except that the currency is power. Yeah, yeah. For sure. It's not even money. I learned this being at UCLA. Universities are not about learning, certainly. They're not about research they're not even really about money. They're about power and then ego ultimately. Yeah. 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 And, and the, you know, these huge universities as miniature cities, uh, UCLA is the equivalent of a medieval like Italian city. And it really is about the ego and power and the misconduct that happens at UCLA, the lying, 
how money just disappears, like millions of dollars just disappear. Every 10 years or so, you know, a newspaper reporter investigates what's going on and something gets revealed and somebody gets caught. And then the system reforms a little bit. And then the watchdogs become part of the system. Yep. Yeah. And the process repeats all over yep. again. Yeah. So I don't know if there's an antidote to corruption, except, you know, the old phrase that the, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. I haven't heard that before. It, it's a very American phrase. Yeah. Um, and, and I truly mean that in not just the sense of like liberties, mm. like, oh, the freedom to, you know, go here or go there, you know, movements and speech and so on. Yeah. Uh, it's like spiritual freedom. Mm. And the price of that is vigilance, and the price of that is work, mm. but the price of that is pain, the pain of being vulnerable. Like people, what is it, to, to have loved and lost and to have never loved at all? Like that's yeah. a real thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I repeat it even though I've experienced it. You know, I, I have to agree. Mm. And, and somehow I feel like our culture, and I, and I mean it like Western culture, is it such a like a simulated virtual level <laughs> and keeping people so busy in their cubicles and with their entertainment and so on? You know, where America is now was predicted in the 80s in the book Generations. I always was curious what it would look like. It's fact, it's funny, as an introverted intuiting type, for the past five or six years, I've been aware that this time is coming. I didn't know what it would look like. But I was most aware that what country I was in would make a very big difference. And I was just about to go to Norway at the end of February, and I delayed my trip for a month because I had stuff to do. And that made a huge difference because then I would have spent the last six or nine months in Norway yeah, instead of in, in Los Angeles. But yeah, it, it's very difficult to have conversations here. I learned... Many years ago as a teenager, even never engaged with the American press about anything. Uncomfortable engaging with the Australian press, New Zealand press, European press. If people want interviews or whatever, but it really is sharks here. Yeah. You, you want to talk about a, land, a continent with dangerous animals? <laughs> it, it, is, it is the media in the United States. That, oh, yeah. oh, that, yeah. And I would say this going back to the, the, the 80s. Mm. When I was a teenager, I can remember uh, a lot of examples, a lot of unethical behavior. That's something tough, you know, that, that all of us have this feeling component and having to understand like, oh, I know this ENFP. Why is he so incredibly unethical? Mm. Like, how, how does he, how is he okay with that? Like, what happened? And one of the other, so I said there were three surprises in working on the book. Yes, yes. One is that I finished. The other, you know, was bringing all these threads together. And, and I would say it was going back and reading Jung again. And wow, is he very critical about all of the types. Mm. Like, oh my God, we're screwed. Yeah. And, he, you know, he, if he's going to write like 10 pages about a function, yeah. two of those pages are nice. Yeah. Two or three are like, well, it can be extreme in these ways, but it's got some benefits too. And then the rest of it is like, from the point of view of a psychiatrist, all the ways it can go wrong. And, and then I come down to, you know, what, what is a lesson that I learned from a liminal or numinous experience, a non-dual experience? We are just crazy monkeys.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to, like, imagine you go to the zoo and you take some chimps and you dress them up in clothes and you give them iPads and you put them on an airplane and uh, they're trained to be well-behaved and, and we're all like that. Yes. And then we got this extra layer on top. But sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, we're all crazy. Like, we're yeah. all really crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's my fundamental worldview at this point. You know, like, everybody is crazy. And, you know, the only people I'm scared of are those people that don't think they're crazy. They're the ones that scare me. And, and I mean, that's what we see online. The, 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 people, that, the people that think they're rational and logical and i'm an enneagram one and so there's that big that there's that big script where i like to think i'm reasonable you know so I got, i've got that bias but the people that truly lay upon layer think they're rational reasonable smart intellectual you know they're the ones that scare me and and it took me a while to work this out but you know i have like so I'm 37 and I have a lot of peers that are sort of, you know, early thirties to forties and that kind of age group that, you know, middle-class educated, you know, the engineers, the accountants and all the lawyers and like looking at them and going, this person seems dumb. I know they're not dumb. So what, what's going on? And I keep concluding it's, it's dumb. Like that doesn't make sense. And, and there's two ways now that I've come to, to frame this and interpret it. Cause I was, that's not a sufficient answer. You know, this person's yeah. clearly not dumb, but what the hell is going on? And it's like, we're talking about a subject matter that I know for a fact, their brain has more innate capacity to dissect and understand than my brain, you know, thinkers, Myers-Briggs thinking all that. And what I came to realize was that these people are enormously smart and intellectual and educated, but when they get onto subject matter that has an emotional hook to it, they become unconscious and they don't realize that now they're working in an area. Now they're discussing an area that's deeply emotional for them. And they're not considering that data point. They're not considering the emotions as a data point and it's just hijacking their logic. Like this person that said, we're talking about some scientific subject and said, here is a scientific study. One of the mythical scientific studies that you say doesn't exist. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not good at reading scientific studies, you know, but I'm going to click on it and I'm going to give it my best shot. Mm -hmm. And I read the abstract and I realized, and I didn't go further and I don't normally because I struggle, but I read the abstract. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a clickbait scientific study the title of the study does not relate to what the abstract and the study is actually about. This person did not read this thing. Mm. This person's an engineer, a very, very smart person. And I thought, Oh my good. And then now retrospectively, I realized, Oh, it's emotion. There's an emotional thing going on here and they're becoming irrational and they're not reading the thing. And I've come to realize that some of the smartest people are the most tricked into thinking that they're not crazy because they've neglected the emotional intelligence piece. They've, mm. they've overly focused on this area. And you can probably tell me from the neuroscience how much truth there is to this. Often people with strong introverted thinking, I'm like, you know, you get them in a different domain, you get them in a people domain and you're like, oh my goodness, you're not making any sense. An idea on this pedestal, you know, and then I start to remember, oh, that's right, we're all crazy, <laughs> you know. 
and and why I sometimes have felt objectively smarter than me people. And it's like, oh, because I've got a bit of thinking and a bit of feeling. And it's kind of given me a bit of balance here. And that's the, you know, the INFJ, the, the F-E-T-I. So, well, that's my little ranting, but this is what I've been thinking about lately. No, I, I understand. And, and I think we can give different explanations to this. You know, we, we could come from like a sociobiology perspective and say we evolved as apes and then as, as humans going through this, that's like one way to look at it. And we have all of these evolutionary mechanisms that make sense for people who lived in communities of two, 20 to 200 people. Yeah. Uh, and are not, our brains are actually not suited to live in environments, for example, where we receive a lot of data that has been filtered and filtered and we're not having direct contact with that data. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, yeah. you know, if, they, if we were closer to the consequences of our actions, like everybody, people can smarten up really quickly, just like a crazy homeless person can become incredibly polite under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's one angle, which I think is fine. I mean, it, it has its validity. And the other angle I sort of look at it is that, you know, ultimately when we look at matter, and, and like bodies and then tables and dogs and people and atoms. And then there's, you know, space or fuzzy space between these. And we, we go down and we see ultimately it's all energy that's organized. And, and you and I and other people, we are energy that is not only organized, but has some capacity for self-reflection. It's mm. a self-reflexive kind of, a self-aware kind of energy or self-referencing, self-maintaining, whatever, it's energy. Yeah. And, and so I'm one of those people who like, yeah, I believe in the material world, but I also accept that consciousness may actually be the only real thing mm. at the end of the day. That's the one thing that, that it's like you're a blob of consciousness and I'm a blob of consciousness. But what is that consciousness? And, and it's like there, I, I sort of imagine there's this like pillar of, of energy and it has, it's constrained in a way to operate with a bunch of programming, you know, like imagine computer programming code. And then the question is, is how well is that code serving the person? And it's a very Eastern concept to say that in a lot of cases, what people need is to remove and to simplify. Yeah. You already know the answer. I already know the answer. Joe, who seems like an idiot and is crazy is actually fine underneath if only he would let go of the baggage that is the, the script that he's holding. Sure. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of the, the polarization you're talking about is happening for two reasons. One is there are deep systemic problems. Yes. Like, there, there's, uh, like the international banking and like the way people have become sort of like debt slaves. Yeah, yeah. In a way that wasn't true 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, and this like financial inequality, all of that. For whatever reason, I think a lot of people are unhappy in their lives. They're stressed. Mm. There, there's biases. Like, these exist. And then the other reason is that people discovered, again, because we've discovered this before in history, that they can take their personal hurts and injury and weaponize them. And it becomes, in, in the past, there was this reference point, and, and this is not my idea, but I don't remember who came up with it, that... The Christian concept of sin always forced people to look inward, to think, oh, there's something wrong with me, as opposed to constantly thinking there's something wrong with my opponent. Yeah. But when there's no, and I'm not saying we want to operate necessarily with that, there are alternatives too. Yes. 
But when we discover we can weaponize something that brings power and it brings the sense that, oh, I, I can fix some of the things that are wrong. I have meaning in my life. When we live in a world that has 20 people in the tribe, automatically each of us has meaning. Mm. You know, we're there, we're doing things. The tribe will, will suffer without us. When we live in a world of 7.5 billion people, and we're disconnected and we're in the stressful technological environment, which is very distant from our evolutionary heritage. And yes. I'm talking specifically about people in the industrial information westernized yes, world and yes. in, in the East as well, you know, like Japan and just yes. huge suicide rate and so on. People want meaning. Mm. And, and, you know, the, that being on a crusade is, is a tremendous meaning. Yes. And especially for young people to feel like, am I doing something? They have energy. They have, they have perspective that's different from their elders. They're like, I want to make my meaning count. I want my life to count. Yes. And, and, I, and they feel for their friends and camaraderie. Like, I get all of that. Yes. Like, that, where that's coming from. But I think a lot of it is in the West. We have this idea that we need to make things more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. And this is my problem with spiral dynamics, is that it's about ego sophistication. And it's about language and mental models. And I honestly see people with very egalitarian mental models who are horrible people in practice. <laughs> Love yeah. the world, can't get along with anyone in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so to me, like, what meant, if you have egalitarian mental model or individualist mental model or whatever, I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't really mean anything to me. You know, I, it, whereas the Eastern approach, and, and I do believe ego sophistication is, is a practical matter is important because we have a society to live in and to operate. And it gives people comfort when they read a spiral dynamics and they're like, oh, I'm only two levels below the highest level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, whereas in the East, it's all about let's remove all of the crap. That's what I love about ayahuasca ayahuasca is all about when you engage it not once or twice but as a practice mm. it's all about constantly removing mm. Mm. until we come back to the essence of who we are which ironically is more grounded in nature and yet also more just simplicity that mm. mm. i don't need all of these programs i don't need all of these ideas I do have individuality. It's not stripping me down to nothing. Yes. But it, it takes me back to the essence of who I am. Yeah. And I think that there, the, the solution to the polarization is that people have a very deep-seated need for spiritual meaning mm. and that all of the infrastructure that exists, or most of it, that, that, has, that worked so well 500 years ago or whatever it is, isn't working for people. It isn't meeting their needs or they're, they're creating something like a movement. And that's why so much of the reactions you talk about are religious in nature, because one is they're confusing with religious reaction with spirituality. And then they tell them a story, yes. tell themselves a story that it's not a religion. Yes. That they're being very rational because that's part of the Western narrative that we can be religious and rational at the same time. Mm hmm. That, that's an, the, 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 all the irrationality you're seeing is actually a product of the enlightenment turned upside down. Mm -hmm. and, and there just really is this feeling of disconnection. I say disconnection from nature, disconnection from each other, disconnection from our own bodies, 
disconnection from our, our like deep emotions mm. uh, at the same time carrying around a lot of junk and hurt and, and no way to release that, yes. no visible way to release that. You know, as a therapist, there are, part of your job is to help people work through that. Mm. I think a lot of people need to literally vomit it out. Like, like they, they need to have yes. a full nervous system reset. Yes. And, and where, you know, how do we get that? And then the saddest thing is that our culture, the modern culture has taught people to feel ashamed to even think the word God. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean in a religious sense. And of course, there are religious people and spiritual people who oh. don't feel that way. But I'm saying it's a general pattern. Yeah. We, we are taught... Uh, at least this is my observation that through the medium of television and the media and so on, that to even think God is somehow irrational and stupid and childish. Yeah. Spirituality yeah. is, you know, if we're going to entertain like Gwyneth Paltrow and crystals and so on, oh, that's like a little amusement and whatever. Yes. yes. When in fact the spiritual questions. Besides the base material questions, like are we getting enough food and shelter and like treating each other decently, the, the spiritual questions really are the only other questions that matter. Mm. And that, that's a little bit, and maybe that sounds medieval, but I don't think it's medieval. We, we have a need, you know, and, and that need is like as beings with self-awareness to answer these questions. We don't have to answer them, but to go on a journey to engage in a process of answering them. Yes. And I think a lot of the polarization has happened, like evangelical Christianity was a reaction to something. And in each step of the way, it's like, well, people retrench. Mm -hmm. You know, they see, well, my opponent believes this, therefore I'm going to believe that. The opposite, because they're just using it as a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is climate change science or is it a weapon? And when we politicize everything and you know, then it's the same danger as spiritualizing everything or materializing everything yeah. or whatever it is. And, and it's profoundly unlibertarian in a mm. way. It's mm. profoundly inhuman. Mm. And that, that's, you know, I, and I list on my Facebook thing and whatever, I'm a libertarian. I'm not really libertarian in a strict political sense. I'm like soft libertarian. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, the core tenet of libertarianism is nonviolence. Yeah. And I can be violent at times, and I recognize that. And so it's, it's a great ideal to work for. And, and it's, it's about giving people the freedom and the room to, to pursue uh, their dreams, to pursue their hopes, like whatever it is, and instead of trying to format people mm. around us. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I end and, like, some ideal begins I think it's important to engage in the discussions and to engage in a practice around the discussions. Mm. So when somebody says like, oh, we're going to have a podcast and we're going to talk about big ideas. To me, that's like a, a, a university professor saying, I study consciousness, but I've actually never engaged in a consciousness altering activity. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dude, like you need to either like start your practice yeah. Your mindfulness practice or like your psychedelic practice or your like Buddhist practice, like whatever it is, or, or you need to stop talking about consciousness, like yeah. one of the two, because it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and so that's where I am in my life right now. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's an important message, especially for the, 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 the educated intellectual Western mind. 
And we, we have come a long way, you know, in, in five centuries. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. The, the human rights, civil mm. rights, like it's profound. Mm. You know, there are still problems. I think that that's really amazing that I can live in a house that I know that generally speaking, people follow the law. That generally speaking, I'm safe in my person physically. That I have a course of redress. Like those are all things to be proud of. That human beings as a planet, like you know, most countries have done their best. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they get lost along the way, like North Korea. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're like confused for a while. I'm looking at you, China. You know, they have a lot of inheritance to deal with. America mm. has its inheritance. Australia has its inheritance. We all have our personal things to deal with as well. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, it, it's is life therapy in a way. Yeah. I, I do want to say, to, to be specific, in the Magic Diamond, for each of the eight Jungian functions, uh, I break down, based upon the work of Roger Pierman, like three versions of each function where a person is in their spiral of development. So there's like in the dark grip. And, and for folks who know about personality type, they've heard in the grip kind yep. of stuff, yep. which is what you've talked about in the grip yep. of the emotions. Yep. But it isn't just it's like in the grip of the shadow. Yes. And, and that's, that's really what, because the shadow might be very unemotional in a certain way, but it's, it's, a, it's a demon. Yes. Um, and then there's socially adapted. And so what you're talking about is like people who are otherwise successful in society having really big blind spots in certain areas there, but there's so that was the price of social adaptation. Yes. And, and then there is what I call like wholeness with joy. And for people that might be very brief at times when they experience that it might last for longer periods of time, but it's like the opposite of in the grip, you know, it's yeah, this non dual space, but it's still operational. It's not just me lying there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. but it, it's very functional. It's very creative. It's very aligned. Yes. yes. And it comes and goes. And that's why I would say having a practice. And unfortunately, in Western society, there are no ethical practices that people are raised with. I mean, that's gone. Uh, you know, where, where do kids learn about ethics? They learn political correctness. They learn about being socialized. Yeah. They learn yeah. about success. Yeah. But where do they practice ethics or practice a, a mind-body practice or a spiritual practice yes. or whatever it is, yes. maybe that's sneaking in. Maybe we're a culture that's about to undergo a deep change. I sure hope so. Yeah. I sure hope it, so. I, I hope so too. I also recognize that, the, you know, prophets always live on the margins of society <laughs> and that sometimes what makes a society work is just the 5% that are working really hard. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I've heard that. What's the quote, you know, like a society, a quality of society can be judged by how many eccentrics it has or some, something like that, you know, and, and, you know, you mentioned ISFPs earlier in the, in the call and I'm pretty sure my father's an ISFP and, and so he's got that introverted in, intuition as well. And he always taught me to, to push the boundaries. There's something, there's something like you doing the balance things as a kid, mm. something about me doing the, the questioning and the pushing of the boundaries and having a certain courage against systems and institutions 
that got in there. You know, I was interviewed on a podcast a while back and someone was, my friend was asking me like, he saw me doing something bold or he's like, how did you do that? And what, what, why did you, you know, how did you become, I was like, I don't know. It's just in there. You know, mm. people go, Oh, good on you for standing up and being courageous. And I'm like, I don't know any different. And I, and I speculated that it was because I got bullied as a kid for being different and weird. And I had to learn to find some inner kind of center because I wasn't getting that from the external world other than my father and, and some of that. Well, that was a segue, but yeah, I just joined all these dots based on what you were saying. You know, I think that's where it came from early, early in life. Some of that, some of that foundational stuff. I, I, I do think that, yeah, the early in life foundational stuff can be really profound. I think living cross-culturally growing up helped me um, getting a lot of love and support. Mm. Even though there was a lot of conflict in my family, it wasn't directed at me. Yeah. And, and I was given a lot of support and, and room to grow. Mm. And, and all of those help, you know, mm. the, those mm. at a certain stage. And I can imagine if it were different that that could be very challenging mm, mm. and and that i have a certain you know i mean i i had difficulties too when i turned 18 my my parents got divorced when i was three and it was unresolved when i was 18 so it became california's longest child custody case oh wow and and you know a lot of unpleasant things happened along the way including seeing guns and and mm. and, and other unpleasant stuff but I guess that was tempered by enough positive things mm. that, that allowed me to thrive. And in his very, it's funny what you say about, because I, I do experience that. I do things sometimes and somebody is like, like, how can you like just go ahead and do that? Mm. Like, I'm like, I bought a drum. I've taken no drum classes. I'm like, I'm just going to like get in a certain mode. I, I sort of know as, you know, as you know, as an introverted intuiting type, we can tell when we've like dropped into the mode. Mm. I'm just going to play in that mode. And then, you know, I'm sort of asking, and I'm not good. Like I'm not, like there's not a training there. And then, then I'm with a friend of mine, a very different type. And I'm like, why, here, like, why don't you play? And he's like, no, 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 no. Not because he's hesitant. I mean, he's an SP, but in his mind, it's like, He's not a drum player. Yeah. He hasn't become an expert in it or yeah, reasonably yeah, yeah. proficient. And I, I'm, and, but, and I can't just say like, oh, just drop, just find a part of yourself that can play and drop into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you sound like a, you sound crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. And I realize if I said that to my 20-year-old self, I'd be like, I sort of understand what you're saying, but like, no, I can't actually do that now. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So some of that is that confidence of getting older. And having life experience. Yeah, yeah like, confidence yeah, of getting older and also being older, you just care less. <laughs> you don't care about looking silly or feeling silly in the same way as being 20. Oh, yeah. Or, or God forbid, 15. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't go back to that. Yeah. So it's funny. So I wrote down beforehand like nine points to, that we might cover from yes. the Magic Diamond. And, what have and we I feel like we've covered almost all of them. Albeit not in a way I expected, but great. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, no, that, it's really great. I, I have a longtime friend of mine from grad school. Well, he was an undergrad then. He's INFJ preferences. Yeah. And sometimes we would, we'd be like, oh, let's go to lunch. And two hours later, we're still sitting at the cafeteria talking. Yeah. 
And, and he's like, I can't talk to anybody else about this, like this kind of stuff in this yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the future and philosophy yeah. and just explore. Mm, mm. And so, just, no, I've loved it. It's great. Thank you. And, yeah, um, no, it's been, it's been great. It's not what I expected either. And, you know, we started onto the, the spirituality kind of piece. And oh, it'd be so cool to, to pick up on that thread again because that is another piece that i've been thinking about and um without jumping into this now you know i was thinking about jonathan height's work are you familiar with jonathan height not not in depth but a little bit yeah and 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 the righteous mind and yeah once again Mm -hmm. without going into it all he talks about how ideology can act like religion or spirituality and i posted a quote on the these lines the other day i think you might have liked it a lot of people really resonated with it but yeah it talks about this need well the quote suggests we have an innate need to worship and to have some kind of a a thing and that resonates me with me at an intuitive level at the same time just because it resonates with me i don't want to assume that's correct but but all the feedback from what's happening in culture at the moment is like without religion or spirituality or some kind of a meaning making system, like what you're talking about ethical or having just even a practice, gosh, things go off the rails quick. I mean, it hasn't been long and it's just, no, that's really funny, right? It hasn't been long. And, and I would say there's this notion in the West and I heard this, even I saw this on Facebook as well. Somebody else, defining you know what what is spirituality about and then he got into religion and he's like well it's it's like a set of beliefs and i'm like no it's not it's practices yes and and then because the beliefs are going to come and go and they're going to shift and you may get to some really core ones and that's fantastic but without the practice whatever that might be then then what are you doing Mm. you know then then it's all in your head and it's very rigid And I I don't know, I'm doing my best with that in the second half of life. I still have all of my, you know, flaws as before, hopefully maybe tempered a little bit. I see myself doing some of them and I'm like, oh no, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, Oh, but it feels good to be dysfunctional in this moment. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm hoping that as the culture goes forward, Western culture, that we... I don't think we're ever going to return to this like medieval notion of of religion as mm. salvation mm. because the whole context of our lives is different. And in fact, those in, those older institutions aren't meeting the same needs. But if people can find practices, and it might be a diversity of dozens or even hundreds, thousands of practices. And as long as, you know, some people are like swear by you know, Tony Robbins. And then there are other people who go to Landmark, for example. Yeah. Landmark Forum. And, you know, and those are all practices where people return and and they might become cult-like in some cases, but it really is. It's encouraging a practice. I was in a men's circle for a while. Mm. I found it was very, very powerful, just even mm. for six weeks. Yeah, uh, great I have two as well. Yeah, of being like, being sort of called on a mask that I'm wearing or something I'm saying, and then being held accountable yep. to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so whatever those are, and, and maybe that's the conversation 
it, it will be tough because a lot of people are deeply enmeshed. You know, politics has always been ugly sausage making. Mm. But what I think has changed, certainly in my lifetime, is that the quality of the media it's become yeah. profoundly irresponsible. Yes. Like profoundly yeah. irresponsible. Yeah. And their job, like, and the media has not always been great. You know, during the revolutionary period, at the end of the 19th century, there was a lot of really horrible yellow journalism and, and just as bad as it is today, just in a different form. But this notion a person might call themselves a journalist on television or whatever, I'm like, you're not a journalist. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether you're an entertainer or an arrogant elitist. Yes. You know, that's, and so that, that's my reaction that I'm having. But then as sure. you said, I qual like you, like you're saying, like this is my perspective now where I say that's the reaction I'm having is there's a step away. And then how do we work through a culture where people are not a step away? That's, that's my question. Yeah. That's my question. So Jung, in his talks in 1932 on Kundalini Yoga, and I talk about this in Jung on Yoga, which is the book I did before The Magic yes. Diamond. Yes. And I give all people like, oh, there's so much great stuff in it. And I'm like, it's all Jung. Like, it's just <laughs> me, like, writing it to a different reading level. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that he talks about these, these basically stages of development. So I would say anybody who's interested in spiral dynamics, I'm like, you can take a, a U-turn and go over to this part of town over here called, you know, Jung's Perspective on Yoga, which is amazing work. And he talks exactly about the space, mm. this, this space, Manipura, as, as not, not as a chakra, as the solar plexus, but as a developmental space mm. and where the person is on fire. And, and what does that mean to be on fire? And what is, what is that? And where did that come from before and what's next? Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why a lot of people who are into something extreme as an ideology as a substitute for spirituality or whatever, many times yep. they don't have family. And what changes them is having family. Mm -hmm. And that's because family takes them into anahata. And anahata is a different place developmentally and ask them to experience the dance of the heart rather than the, the fire of the crusader. Mm. And the dance of the heart is the dance of the seasons mm. and the dance of complementarity and the dance of tolerance and uh, the love that comes through irritation and these contradictions, mm. being able to handle that. Mm. And there's more beyond that. Although he says a lot of it is that the human race is not at a point where we can sustain civilization at these higher levels. Yeah, interesting. So we purely put stuff as aspirational, and then we get tricked yeah. when we think we're there, yeah, or yeah. or we have special experiences and we do go there. Yeah. And then like the the prophet that went into the desert and saw the burning bush and talked to God, and then they come back and they spread the word, and it goes from being sahasrada back down, which is like moksha, it's the enlightenment. Yes. A, a moment of enlightenment, yes. a moment of fullness. And then that comes back and it gets turned into a stone, yeah. etched in stone and an ideology. Yeah, it becomes institutionalized. Yeah, It becomes institutionalized. Loses and it. then slowly but surely it loses all, it's, you know, the people who come to the institution are no longer aware of even the origins. And, yes. and maybe the inevitable life cycle. And it seems yet, to be. Maybe it's it, inevitable. It, it, it's definitely repeating, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes it can reinvent itself. Christianity reinvented itself several times. Yeah. 
what will come next? Who knows? I mean, I literally like who knows. And that's, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, that's, that's what I'm wrestling with. So my upbringing was Christianity. And then my background as an adult was Christianity and missionary work and studying yeah. almost becoming an ordained minister and starting a house church. And so all that stuff you're talking about and a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of developmental stages and all that, I, I've done that within that framework. Mm-hmm. And more and more this year, as I look at the state of the world, I feel more and more grateful for that, that, that tradition. And, and that's what Richard Raw speaks about, but he speaks about it from within Christianity. So I go, well, of course you want to back it up. You're in it. But at this point, I don't necessarily see myself within the Christian tradition. And so have some objectivity and yet feel more and more grateful. So yeah. Anyway, we're back on the spirituality thing and we should probably wind it up, but, but it would be great to pick up that as a 2.0 because these are the conversations I think we need to be having um, one step removed from our reactivity, which is really what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I'm not surprised that we stumbled on this though. I mean, both being apparently thinking about the same things. Mm. It's a natural topic probably for our, our types. Probably. To, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then the other is even with the magic diamond, a number of people have commented that it like, it, without ever mentioning the word spirituality in there, I'm not even sure it occurs in, in the book, that word, yes. uh, it somehow is immersed in, it, it points to that and that's I'm like oh okay that's interesting and and suggesting a lot of practices along the way which are packaged within the the union framework of like here's activities you can do or ways that you can integrate stuff in life and whatever yes but ultimately it, it's apparently it has some kind of underpinning that people are noticing that maybe I didn't appreciate at the time yeah and it's sort of like years ago, I wrote the set of short stories, really short shorts. And I, I did put them together into an anthology. And I just saw them as short shorts. And then somebody came along, an INTP, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and he said, no, he said to me, he says, what I love about the stories is they're all about love. Love lost, love found. Yeah. That whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> And yeah. so that's what I was working through in a sense. And yeah. that's, and, and so sometimes we don't, I mean, you know, being intuiting types, it's like the ENFP who a week after saying something realizes, oh, that's what I meant when I said that. Yeah. 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 And so I think that there's some of that going on, but mm-hmm. it, it's very natural to go in this direction. I feel because whenever we're, the book is about shadow and the world is facing shadow stuff at the moment. You mean your uh, current book is about shadow. And the current book is very much about shadow, even though I'm not like a depth psychologist or whatnot. I'm coming from my like uh, skill building point of view in a way. Mm-hmm. But whenever we talk about shadow, inevitably there's going to be this like, uh, you know, spiritual component to it. Yes. Yes. I, I think it's inevitable. Yes. And, and I think if a person takes midlife seriously, any person, they don't need a degree in anything. They're going to end up finding that the answer is probably some kind of spiritual answer. Mm-hmm. Even if that means I'm an atheist, but I have this practice that I do. 
to yes. help me like stay sane and yes. like on a good track. That that's fine. I don't yes. mean religious. Yes. The, the that's it's inevitable. So I think it's great that you know and and maybe it's the therapy that we need at this time. Yes. Yeah, yeah that you and I and, and other listeners need. Like this is how we're coping. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. And nice to actually talk to you as close to in person as we can do right now, because we've obviously chatted text, but nice to actually chat face, face to face. I'm sure the community is going to love, love this. This has been a bit of a different conversation, but still within the theme of the podcast, which is, you know, personal development with a, a type bias is really how I explain it. I'm using type systems for growth, which I think is your natural bent. Yeah, weirdly, it, the the conversation has been very um, uplifting and rejuvenating. So I really thank you for uh, creating a great space. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. It's mutually yeah. beneficial. Hope you enjoyed the second half of that conversation. Again, if you want to find Dario online, his current book, The Magic Diamond, or any of the other things that he's worked on, we've linked to all the information to his website and the book in the show notes and also all of Dan's social media and his website and everything is on there if you want to get in touch. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Catch you next time.